Together, we must build a nation that is more equitable, more compassionate, and more inclusive. I know that Joe Biden will begin that fight on day one. In this job interview, the difference is stark. You know what Donald Trump will do with four more years? Blame, bully, and belittle. And you know what Joe Biden will do? Build back better. It's Trump's us versus them America against Joe Biden's America, where we all live and work together. But more than anything, what I know about Joe, what I know about Kamala, is that they actually care about every American, and that they care deeply about this democracy. We must elect a president who will bring something different, something better, and do the important work. A president who will bring all of us together, black, white, Latino, Asian, indigenous, to achieve the future we collectively want. We must elect Joe Biden. Milwaukee, Wisconsin, a state that voted heavily for Donald Trump in 2016. This year, and this specific week, the town of around 600,000 and the fifth largest city in the Midwestern United States is the host of the attention of the nation this week, as they host the Democratic Party's national convention and officially nominate Joe Biden and Kamala Harris as the main rivals to Trump in the national elections. The stakes are high. The Democrats are holding their heads high as the team that can unite Americans across the nation and oppose the resident mixture of incompetence, racism, and utter chaos gripping the reins of U.S. power. The Democratic primaries are now over and now the dynamic duo will attempt to thwart Trump and serve the nation as a far more responsible team leading the Democrats and America to a new optimistic hope. So far, Trump seems to be falling behind according to popular opinion polls. Biden-Harris may prevail, but what would be the result if they did take charge? Are they the cavalry to the rescue? Or are they just another blend of corruption and self-serving elites of the corporations, by the corporations, and for the corporations? My name is Michael Welch. This is the Global Research News Hour radio program, broadcasting out of CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on occupied Anishinaabe Gakin, the homeland of the Red River Metis, and the traditional territory of Nahiwak and the Nakota. The program also airs on other radio stations across Canada and the United States and is podcast at globalresearch.ca. On today's program, we're going to take a thorough perspective on the Democrats and particularly the background of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. We'll be joined by two commentators who challenge mainstream understandings of the team vying for the presidency. We'll also give them a chance to state their view as to the actions in our communities that could have some hope of making a difference on the national and international stage. Dissecting the Democrats in 2020 
is our topic this week. Mark Rabinowitz has taken the perspective in the past that there is a level of state power lying way beyond the levers of these public assemblies. He is writer, political activist, and ecological campaigner. He manages the sites oilempire.us and jfkmoon.org, which look into the deep political events and how they intersect with politics, economics, and ecology. He is based in Eugene, Oregon. Thank you for joining us, Mark. Thanks again for the invitation. Yeah. So first of all, let's, let's go back to the, the beginning of the primaries. There was considerable support for Sanders, as I recall, and that suddenly shifted to Biden with the, the South Carolina Prairie uh, primary, and, and that, that's all of a sudden you see all the shift over to Biden. Uh, so eventually Sanders packed it in and, and threw his support behind Joe Biden. Um, despite the considerable grassroots campaign that Sanders had put together, how did you see the, the big money recipients counteract this following and, and, and throw them all behind, behind Biden? Well, that's not exactly a surprise. Uh, Sanders clearly had more grassroots support than Biden, or for that matter, Kamala Harris. But our elections are not exactly free and fair. For many years, with his semi-radical agenda, was going to be allowed to take over from Trump. Uh, he made a valiant effort. He put some good ideas out there and he put some ideas that weren't quite so good out there as well, but there's no way that he was going to be allowed to win the primary. Yeah. Well, what, looking at the, uh, the perspective of the, uh, the candidates, I mean, what, what can you tell us specifically about Joe Biden? Because, you know, there's uh, the stuff that's being uh, trotted out in the mainstream media what what are some of the uh, the factoids that uh, maybe a, a little bit of a um, a contradiction or that, that that people should know about that, that maybe they don't? Well, in some ways, this may be Biden's third term as president. Uh, it's worth remembering he was vice president, and in some ways the de facto president from two thousand nine to twenty seventeen. He'd been in the Senate for decades as the senator from Delaware or DuPont and MBNA, the credit card company. He was also a previous presidential candidate in 2007 and his main and practically only campaign theme then was a, a promise or a goal to break up Iraq into three new countries using ethnic conflict to control the oil because the oil's in some parts of Iraq and not in others. And when you overlay a map of who lives where, if you want to divide and conquer, which has been the imperial protocol for since the 1800s and the heyday of imperialism, breaking up Iraq would divide up the peoples there and make it easier for outside forces 
to control, he was unable to achieve. And when Biden was a senator, he got three-fourths of the U.S. Senate to support breaking up Iraq into three new countries. In 2008, when Obama at the Democratic Convention that year announced that Biden had been selected as his running mate, I went from being 99% convinced that Obama had been selected as the next president to being 10,000% convinced. Uh, the Republican that year was John McCain, and his running mate was Sarah Palin from Alaska, who certainly had her supporters, but outside the most diehard Republicans, she was looked at in horror in much the same way that Donald Trump is looked at in horror uh, by most of the planet. So Biden's uh, track was foreign policy in the Obama administration, and he was in many ways the Cheney to Obama, as Cheney was to Bush the lesser. Uh, in many ways, Biden operated behind the scenes with at least as much power as Obama. So I'm reasonably sure that Biden will be the next president, and we can get into some of the reasons for that. Yeah, well, you know, there, there, there's a lot of talk these days about the, uh, you know, the Black Lives Matter and, uh, you know, well, you know, probably the first major theme other than the fact that there was the, the COVID virus is, uh, you know, a large uh, you know, response by the nation to the, uh, the, uh, uh, the death of, of George Floyd. And, you know, I, I think Biden is kind of trying to pass himself off as being somewhat from that ilk. And I, I'm wondering when you look, you know, at the, you know, in, inside America or even outside America, if there's some contradiction in terms of uh, that sort of thing. I mean, you mentioned that the, 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 the destruction of the Iraqi state or into three separate states and uh, each of those being controlled by uh, ethnic violence for uh, lack of a better term. Um, what, what else can you say that would add to that? Uh, that well, the most, the most important thing when looking at any politician, and I don't think this is limited to the United States, but it certainly applies here, is the speeches that politicians give are nice. They're usually not written by the politicians and they may or may not actually reflect the history of these politicians and what they may do in the future. So both Biden and Kamala Harris talk about reforming the police and changing police policies and all sorts of nice rhetoric that doesn't reflect their actual careers. Uh, Biden has been a supporter of incarceration, being so-called tough on crime, uh, militarism abroad, uh, sort of a center-right aspect of the Democratic Party that verges into what used to be the Republican Party. Harris has a long career in California as a prosecutor, being somewhat nasty to poor people who might have committed minor or even major crimes. So to suddenly now get religion and say we need a community policing and preventative approaches 
that's nice and maybe it's a true conversion, but we need to look at what they've actually done in the past as a guide to what they may do in the future. Now, you, you mentioned earlier about the fact that, uh, well, when Biden first ran as a vice presidential candidate, uh, the, um, the rivals was um, the um, uh, McCain and uh, the uh, Sarah Palin. Uh, so, and, and now he's chosen this Kamala Harris. Um, what stands out for you about, uh, well, her record and, and what she's likely to bring to the to this uh, overall uh, administration? Well, in many ways, she reminds me of Obama, where they both are using their ethnicity, what's called identity politics in the United States, as a foil for some of their establishment-friendly policies. So she's already being attacked in very racist terms by the Trump administration, just as Obama got attacked in very racist terms by some of the Republicans before and by Trump as well. But I'm more interested in what she does than, than her ancestry. In particular, I think she's very friendly to the intelligence agencies, so-called, uh, based on her support for blocking parole for California's most notorious political prisoner, Sirhan Sirhan, who was accused and convicted of shooting presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy, even though it's physically impossible for Sirhan to have committed that crime uh, for reasons we've gone into on previous shows. And I'm sure you've had other guests talk about this as well. Uh, and to deny or to oppose parole hearings for someone who was, the evidence shows was under hypnosis and there was a second gunman, shows her willingness to compromise on morality and in favor of expediency. Now where someone goes in the future is the future and maybe there'll be enough grassroots pressure for her to behave differently, but I'm a skeptic not that my skepticism of her or Biden is going to matter at all. I think Trump's popularity is nosediving. Even a lot of the elites have soured on him. And my guess is we are going to have Biden as the next president. Yeah. Um, now, getting back to Sanders, uh, I know that he's been referred to, uh, I guess, by Bruce Dix Dixon as a sheepdog. In other words, he's He's there to bring all sorts of progressive-minded you know, activist people, uh, bring them into the Democratic race, and he will not win. But he's already, you know, so many people have gotten behind him that uh, once the, uh, the chosen one, whether it's Hillary or whether it's uh, Biden or whoever, uh, once they get in there, they, they have no choice but to, to go with that rather than, oh, I don't know, do something a little bit more uh, you know, either form a new party or organize a general strike or something like that. Um, but I'm wondering, essentially, like you understand and I understand, the Democrats are owned by big business and they're not likely going to allow someone to ingest a socialist or, or even just social democratic values into the platform. 
So I guess I'm wondering, what, what is he thinking? Does he actually believe that he can win? Or is he up to some other uh, backup plan? What are your thoughts about that? I wouldn't claim to know what Bernie Sanders personally thinks about this, but I would suspect he is shrewd enough to know that he is not going to be president. Uh, he's not going to be allowed to be president. He can be a force to push things, and some of his policies I agree with. Some I don't. But our elections are not usually determined on election day. With Obama, it was pretty clear he was going to get the job long before the election. With Biden versus Hillary Clinton, I'm sorry, Trump versus Hillary Clinton, there seemed to be more of a split among the powers that be. Now it seems most of them are united behind the Democrats. And unless there's massive election fraud of a scale that you would normally see in a place like Belarus, uh, it seems pretty clear Biden is going to be the nominee for, and the winner of the election. I'm not recommending people vote or not vote for anybody. All I'm suggesting is that if people vote for Biden as the means to dump Trump, do so without illusion. Unfortunately, we're not going to have the 25th Amendment, which is the part of the Constitution where the cabinet and then the Congress removed the president for being uh, incompetent. I think Trump clearly is crazy enough that he can't do the job, but there's no appetite in the government to do this. So for Biden to quote, win the election and replace Trump seems to be the means to go forward. But I don't have the illusion that uh, we're gonna have utopia afterwards. It's gonna be your normal neoliberal imperialist with a shiny face of nice propaganda on top. I will say in defense of Biden, the one thing that I think will substantially improve is when Biden was vice president, his administration dealt reasonably well with two smaller pandemics, the H1N1 in 2009 and Ebola in 2014, where the United States response was science-based and helpful and helped put a lid on both outbreaks. And given that the United States is the world capital for infection now. And the contrast between my country and your country is astonishing to put it mildly. I don't think Biden will squash our public health system the way that Trump did. And that alone will be an improvement because if we can't get control over the outbreak, not much else is gonna make much of a difference. Yeah. But the pub, but, Biden and Kamala Harris do not support having a single payer health system, which would make dealing with this public health problem and many other public health problems. We don't have paid leave, paid sick leave for low income workers in our country. We've gutted our public health system for decades. It's not only a Trump problem. We have many ways that we do not take 
healthcare seriously, and single payer healthcare isn't a cure-all for this problem, but it would be a huge step in the right direction. And it's one of the reasons why Canada has dealt with this much better than the United States or your, and many other countries. It's not just wearing masks or social distancing, although those are important, but it's a different attitude towards how to treat the public uh, in a way that's not quite so greedy. Yeah, well, he did. He has been focusing on the the health campaign considerably, and you know, essentially saying it's uh, you know it's his campaign. I mean, he lost his son, um, you, know, you know, due to the healthcare uh, system, and you know, he lost his first wife and uh, as well. Um, but could you maybe focus in what what do you think? this camp makes this campaign different from the Hillary campaign um, in general? Well, I think the establishment is even more united around Biden than they were around Hillary Clinton. And the disaster of the Trump administration is, it's hard to say that this is the worst administration we've had in US history. particularly crazy by any standard. And I think a lot of the leaders of the empire know that he's ruining our status in the world. He's making the empire decline faster than it was already. And Biden is a proven manager of empire. I'm not a fan of his. I did not vote for him in 2008 or 2012. But He's your normal imperialist uh, globalization type politician who Wall Street and the military will be quite content with. Now, uh, Hillary Clinton had some difficulties during uh, that election in 2016. I mean, the WikiLeaks detailing that the DNC favored Hillary democratically. Uh, then, you know, in, the, uh, in October, the opening of the probe into Hillary's emails just days before the election. Um, so uh, you know, th these are all things that suggest that there's maybe some outside forces that are sort of still helping to steer things in a certain direction. Do you see a similar October surprise uh, happening this year, uh, you know, either directed at Biden or at Trump? Well, the most popular guess for an October surprise is Trump announcing some sort of vaccine just before the election. But vaccines take time to verify their safety and, and especially the efficacy. And a coronavirus vaccine is going to be a difficult challenge uh, for reasons that are covered elsewhere. Uh, even if one is effective, it's going to take time to really prove that, especially since this is something that may be given to billions of people all over the world. One other thing about the Hillary Clinton campaign is it's worth remembering that if you count all the ballots, Hillary Clinton did win the 2016 election, including in the swing states that supposedly went to Trump. There were states like Michigan where the number of ballots that weren't even counted was more than the so-called margin of victory for Trump. So 
if we don't deal with election theft, you know, maybe the rigging of the election won't be enough to keep Biden from winning, quote unquote. But this has been a longstanding problem here. We don't have paper ballots counted by hand, like in your country. And the veracity of the election is questionable to be polite. Given what you know about Biden, what new direction would the Biden-Harris ticket take us after the election? I mean, in, in broad terms, would be uh, more hawkish, more uh, helping, uh, you know, helping to continue to choke the people. Uh, what, 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 what's, the, what, what's the main difference? What's bound to there's a, there's a term, good cop, bad cop. And Trump is the bad cop. Biden is the good cop. And Biden won't be as nasty and petty and as a more mature person just psychologically. Of course, almost anybody is compared to Trump. But after the Watergate scandal, uh, we were told our long national nightmare is over. And we've heard this a number of times since then after Reagan and Bush, after Bush too, and now as Trump's term comes to a close. And each time we do this bad cop, good cop game, it gets worse and worse. And it's a trick that we fall for as a society each time. And for probably two thirds of the United States, having Trump out of office will be a giant relief as it should be, but that does not mean that the alternative is what we need. And whether it's Biden or Clinton or Harris or, or even Sanders, it's gonna need sustained pressure at all levels of the society towards ecological sanity, towards concern for public health, empathy for each other, empathy for the rest of the world, and many other things in order for us to mitigate the worst that we've done and to use our talents as a society, as a civilization for our survival. Well, may, maybe we could just conclude then with uh, your thoughts about what ordinary people living in their communities, grassroots Americans, uh, what, 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 what policies they should be championing in, in order to uh, guarantee a better outcome uh, regardless of the uh, election result? Well, there's no shortage of things. And to be creative in our interactions is probably key. To be grounded in empathy for others, especially if they have different skin color or ethnicity or different political views. To work cooperatively with your neighbors in your community. And the pandemic in many ways can be a positive aspect to this. It's highlighting all the wonderful and horrible things in the world in terms of our ability to cooperate scientifically and politically, but also the countless injustices of the way the world is structured. So it's a real-time global exercise in the future of civilization. Are we going to use our talents for endless war or to cooperate to make a world that's worth passing on to future generations. And we all have 
a role to play with this. There's limits to what any of us can do, but there's also tremendous opportunities. And the more we focus on that, the less what certain politicians do will matter, and they will have to follow the lead of where public opinion is rather than the other way around. And I would just like to plug my page on Biden and his background with the war machine and his plans for breaking up Iraq at oilempire.us, www.oilempire.us. And at the top of the page is a link to Biden. And this is not something that the Sanders campaign and certainly not the Trump campaign have highlighted, but it shows where Biden is really carrying water for, for the empire. And what can I say? It's an exciting time to be alive. Well, Mark, I really want to thank you for your, your thoughts and also for breaking them down for us. And uh, yeah, we'll have a, a good look at what uh, the outcome of this election is going to be. And um, yeah, so, so thanks again for your, your time. Bye-bye. That was writer, ecologist, and political campaigner Mark Rabinowitz. Again, you can get more of his insights by visiting the site oilempire.us. My name is Michael Welch, and you're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcast out of Winnipeg on radio station CKUW 95.9 FM and on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States. We are also podcast on the website globalresearch.ca. Under President Biden, America will not turn a blind eye to Russian bounties on the heads of American soldiers. Nor will I put up with foreign interference in our most sacred democratic exercise, voting. And I'll always stand for our values of human rights and dignity. I'll work in common purpose for a more secure, peaceful, and prosperous world. History, history has thrust one more urgent task on us. We be the generation finally wipes out the stain of racism from our national character. I believe we're up to it. Ready. Just a week ago yesterday was the third anniversary of the events in Charlottesville. Close your eyes. Remember what you saw on television. Remember seeing those neo-Nazis and Klansmen and white supremacists coming out of the field with lighted torches, veins bulging, spewing the same same anti-Semitic bile heard across Europe in the 30s. Remember the violent clash that ensued between those spreading hate and those with the courage to stand against it. You remember what the president said when asked? He said there were, quote, very fine people on both sides. It was a wake-up call for us as a country. And for me, a call to action. At that moment, I knew I'd have to run. My father taught us that silence was complicity. I can never remain silent or complicit. At the time, I said we're in the battle for the soul of this nation. And we are. Joseph Robinette Biden was born in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and later moved into the state of Delaware. 
He received a Bachelor of Arts degree from the University of Delaware in 1965, and three years later received a law degree from Syracuse University College of Law. He served as a counselor for the Newcastle County from 1970 until 1972, before serving six consecutive terms in the U.S. Senate. Along the way, he ran for the presidential nomination in 1988 and again in 2008. During the 2008 election, Democratic candidate Barack Obama reached out to him. He then agreed to serve as Obama's vice president, which he served for eight years. According to mainstream sources, Biden is a moderate Democrat. Among his achievements, he opposed desegregation of buses in the mid-70s, as did most white voters in Delaware at the time. In the 1980s, he championed a get-tough-on-crime provision in the Comprehensive Crime Control Act. He succeeded in passing. In the 80s and 90s, he was chair of the U.S. Senate Committee on the Judiciary. Among his contentious roles were his stances with regard to the appointments of Robert Bork and Clarence Thomas to the Supreme Court. A member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, he supported U.S. aggression against Yugoslavia, Afghanistan, and Iraq. In his 2020 platform, Biden boasts about bold plans for health care, education, jobs, housing, climate change, and environmental justice, while announcing racial equity will be part of the economic recovery. Joe Biden does not receive a great deal of opposition in mainstream reporting. Even high-profile, highly reputable figures like Noam Chomsky favor him to Trump. But there are other voices on the left with no patience or time for Biden's feel-good vision. One of these is Ajamu Baraka. He is a national organizer for the Black Alliance for Peace. He also served on the executive committee of the U.S. Peace Council and leadership body of the United National Anti-War Coalition an editor and contributing columnist for the Black Agenda Report and contributing columnist for Counterpunch. He was recipient of the U.S. Peace Memorial 2019 Peace Prize and the Serena Shim Award for Uncompromised Integrity in Journalism. He also served as the vice presidential candidate on the Green Party ticket running in the 2016 presidential election. I had him on the show recently to discuss his views on the contest at hand. Thank you very much for joining us, uh, Ajamu Baraka. Um, My pleasure. Thank you. So first of all, uh, we're talking about uh, the, the Biden uh, is uh, now going to lead the, uh, the Democratic Party, uh, either to a victory or not. Um, can I get your thoughts about, uh, you know, he, the man has talked to a, a great deal about, uh, you know, the, the, the healthcare system. Uh, he's uh, also planning to be a, a, a fighter against climate change. Uh, but you have a, you're, you're effectively not interested, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, whether it's Trump or, or Biden, I mean, the, the enemy still persists. 
could, could I ask you what what is the basis for your lack of support for Biden? Well, we 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 see with Biden a a continuation of the neoliberal policies uh, that create the conditions for the uh, the victory of Donald Trump in in twenty sixteen. Uh, we look at the uh, Obama Biden administration, and we see that during that period. Uh, the plight of working class people in the U.S. Uh, was dire uh, and nothing was uh, effectively done uh, for the working class, even though you had um, a, a semi-recovery in terms of jobs. Uh, those jobs that were uh, created uh, were low-wage jobs uh, that uh, continued the restructuring of the U.S. economy uh, that has been under uh, underway for the last few decades. So uh, we see with the uh, Bi uh, the Biden administration, the Biden uh, ticket, uh, that the only thing they have to offer to uh, to the people uh, in terms of domestic policies uh, is more of the same. Now, in terms of the foreign policy, though, uh, is, is a real concern because we see uh, uh, positions taken by uh, Biden and the Democrats uh, to be e to be more extreme uh, than anything we've seen so far coming from the Trump administration. In fact, the critique coming from the, uh, from Biden and the Democrats uh, tends to be uh, consistently to the right of Donald Trump. So there's no basis on uh, for any kind of support from our perspective. We say that um, and from the Black Alliance for Peace that. Uh, uh, it doesn't really matter who sits in the White House after the November election uh, for poor people, for the working class, uh, and for the people of the world who are struggling for uh, national liberation, national sovereignty, and support international law, that nothing will be different. Well, there does seem to be some you know, differences of opinion from the, the left you know, working class uh, point of view that at the very least, Biden is a kind of a, a lesser evil. I, I, I quote Chomsky, who's you know a, very much uh, on, on the left end of the pers perspective, and he says that uh, the, the Trump is the worst criminal in history, and undeniably that there's been a, a figure in political history who is passionately dedicated to destroying the projects for organized human life on Earth in the near future. And in a recent interview, he said that, uh, that take Biden's campaign positions further to the left than any new Demo Democrat candidate in memory on things like climate. It's far better than anything that preceded it. Not because Biden had a, a personal conversion or the DNC had some great insight, but because they're being hammered on by activists coming out of the Sanders movement and others. So, you know, he, he's not even <laughs> declaring that the Democrats are the lesser evil. Uh, he's impressed by Biden. So can I get your take on, on that position and, and, and that, that per persists across the, the left end of the, of the spectrum? It's a quite um, extraordinary position that seems to have no real basis in, in reality. Uh, it seems to be driven by some by by some by left uh, liberal uh, sentimentality. Uh, where what policies are these people uh, referring to? 
clearly, you know, when more than 80% of the population supports um, uh, Medicare for all, uh, but the Biden forces say that they're not going to uh, support that. Um, I mean, the, the agenda of the uh, Biden Democrats um, uh, is clear. And this notion that uh, the Trump uh, administration represents this existential uh, threat. Uh, I mean, it, it, it plays in terms of, of mobilizing uh, for the Democratic base, but you know, it, it, it cannot be taken as serious a serious analysis. Look, uh, uh, Donald Trump is not even uh, as, as racist as the one of the darlings of liberalism, uh, Woodrow Wilson. So the notion that, that he represents the, 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 the worst president uh, in U.S. history is really uh, uh, an affront also uh, to black folks. And when you have you know, uh, the first uh, 12 presidents or so uh, in the, in, of, of that republic uh, being slave owners. So this is absolutely ridiculous. Um, there's no basis in reality. Um, the the uh, warmongering of the Democrat Party uh, is, a, is a threat to uh, all of, of humanity uh, and that we have not seen any uh, commitment on the part of the uh, Obama-Biden administration to issues of climate change, uh, the weak positions they took in Paris, uh, the fact that uh, fracking exploded under the o Obama administration, um, and offshore uh, uh, oil uh, exploration, uh, including the disaster in the in the Gulf, um, you know, is 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 really incomprehensible. Uh, why people like Chomsky and others uh, would allow the, the their emotionalism and, in fact, idealism uh, to undermine the ability to make objective, sober analysis of what is in play politically in the U.S. We're not su suggesting that that there's no difference between Trump and Biden. We're just suggesting that it's exaggerated uh, and that uh, what really is, is required is a sober analysis of the various social and class forces that are in contention uh, and that we're not prepared to line up uh, with the neoliberal uh, uh, wing of, of the Democrat Party. Well, I mean, there are, certainly there are the problems with the... Uh, you know, with past, uh, with, with, the, with the whole past of the party, but I, I think what some are suggesting is that with, uh, you know, I guess a, a new breed of, of uh, Democrats, okay, uh, Sanders, for Bernie Sanders and uh, uh, Alexandria or uh, Cortez and uh, Ocasio Cortez, Rokana and others, that maybe more of those folks are drifting into the party and can effectively turn it into a a justifiable. I mean, not, they're not there yet, but maybe they could, with time, you know, work to uh, make it, uh, drag it over to a, an area that's distinct. Is that any kind of a possibility, or, or do you even have problems with the uh, the candidates themselves? Well, you know, Michael, um, the progressives and, and and elements of the of the left in the U.S. Uh, they have been saying since 1984. Uh, that they will uh, to engage in this lesser to evil uh, approach and that they will uh, 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 hold the Democrats' feet to the fire. Well, that hasn't happened. And uh, the Democrat politics continue to move uh, to the right. 
We even see in the DNC show that uh, we are presently uh, watching unfold in the U.S. that the progressives um, have been given basically, what, 90 seconds uh, uh, address and addressed by uh, uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. I mean, this is in, 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 in five minutes or so of, of Bernie Sanders. This is, is outrageous. There's no basis to suggest that the, the progressives have the uh, institutional muscle uh, to hold any feet to the fire, nor have we seen any evidence to suggest that politically they're even willing to try to do that because it's not even clear what they stand for. So, no, I think that even though there's been some progressives that have, have gone into the party, uh, those progressives have been offset uh, by the strategy of the party to bring in these uh, militar, militar, militarized CIA types uh, into, into the party, uh, appealing to what they perceive to be the, the centrist uh, element in the party. Uh, so therefore, these progressive forces continue to be politically isolated in the party. And after uh, Bernie Sanders engaged in his unprincipled surrender uh, to the uh, neoliberal wing, uh, there's real demoralization and disorganization among those elements inside the party, which will make it even more difficult for them uh, to leverage the little power that they might have uh, within uh, the context of that, of that, of that party. Now, um, looking at the current uh, uh, order, uh, Kamala Harris has been uh, accepted as the first woman of color to accept the title of the vice president of a major party. Um, and then, you know, they're making, getting a lot of play out of it. Um, now, last election, you accepted the nomination as vice president for the Green Party. Uh, so I'm just wondering if, if you accepted the position again and had a second chance to debate the, uh, the vice president of the, the, the Democratic Party, what, what points would you likely raise with her? Well, interestingly enough, Michael, we, we actually had a virtual debate, uh, both Jill Stein uh, with the other two candidates, uh, Trump and um, uh, Clinton, and myself with uh, Tim Kaine. In fact, those debates were uh, viewed by 29 million people. So we, we raised the, the issues that we raised that were the, at the centerpiece of our platform, which was, in fact, uh, the Green New Deal uh, uh, transitional uh, program. Uh, and so what we would uh, debate then and, 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 and now will be some of those same positions that basically we have to have uh, a, a transitional program in the U.S. Uh, that addresses the plight of, of the majority of the people, the working class people uh, of this country, that we have to have a, a real attention to the threat of, of climate change, that we have a collective interest and in, um, uh, avoiding uh, some kind of nuclear confrontation, uh, that militarism uh, continues to be a threat to the people of the U.S. and to, and to the world, that we have to have a, an economy, uh, economic system that provides the means of subsistence uh, for people, that housing should be seen as a human right, as well as health care. So the, the issues remain the same. The problem is that within the context of bourgeois politics in the U.S., uh, those issues are not getting uh, a fair play. 
Um, uh, but the Green Party continues to, to uh, push uh, uh, these issues. The uh, uh, Hawkins and Walker uh, campaign ticket are raising these issues and even going further uh, because Howard Hawkins is calling for, uh, for example, the full uh, nationalization of the healthcare industry. So, you know, and these positions are not uh, like, they're not out of line with the sentiments of a majority of the people in the U.S. Again, they just don't get any play within the context of the duopoly. Now, on foreign policy, uh, you, you brought up certain, uh, the, the perspective that the, uh, the Democrats, the Republicans are the same, you know, same deal, just sort of a, a different face. Uh, but I, I'm wondering, do you see any areas where a Biden presidency could be uh, not only as bad, but possibly even worse, uh, whether it's uh, the, the global south or, or Ukraine or Russia or anything like that? I think that the show that we saw last night where the Democratic Party uh, trotted out people like Colin Powell and Chuck Hager, uh, where they continued with this rehabilitation of John McCain, um, I think it, it, it spoke volumes uh, to where that party is in terms of its, its foreign policy positions. And we have seen uh, comments from the Democrats during the three and a half years of the Trump administration that uh, suggest that they're taking positions that are very, very dangerous. Uh, their, their positions in the pushing for continued confrontation with, with Russia, uh, the support uh, for und undermining uh, any talks with uh, North Korea, uh, undermining the ability of the Trump administration to bring troops out of North Korea, uh, the uh, undermining of any kind of, of changes with, uh, with the NATO alliance, uh, the support that uh, they have given to uh, the uh, illegal uh, uh, subversion uh, of and, and destruction of the democratic process in Venezuela. Uh, all of these suggest that that there, there is will be, as I said earlier, no real difference in terms of U.S. foreign policy because both parties uh, support the the strategic uh, strategy of the U.S., which is full spectrum dominance. Uh, and so there will be a continuation of, in, in fact, an escalation of militarism, we think, uh, with a, a uh, Biden-Harris uh, uh, win, because the left uh, and the anti-war movement uh, in the U.S. Uh, will probably end up going back to sleep again. So let's suppose that uh, the Biden-Harris uh, team are successful. And it's uh, they arise as the, uh, the president and vice president, and going into 2021. What do you see as the principal concerns uh, of, of a Biden-Harris presidency? I think that they're going to be very much concerned with how they can uh, contain uh, the, uh, the the uh, issue, uh, the situation in the U.S. domestically. Uh, when it becomes quite clear to the population that uh, they have policies that are not going to be able to effectively address the uh, uh, intensifying crisis of the of the capitalist order. Uh, so they're going to have some very real security issues domestically. I think that they will uh, be concerned with uh, completing the uh, pivot 
uh, to Asia. Um, uh, they will intensify uh, pressure on the Chinese because now there's been a, a, um, a, it's been a, a, a realignment among U.S. foreign policy decision makers uh, that, uh, that China, in fact, does represent a threat to U.S. interests. Uh, and in that sense, uh, Trump has won them over to a more confrontational uh, stance vis-a-vis uh, -vis China. I think that the uh, 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 Biden-Harris uh, administration will continue and intensify uh, that those policies, very dangerous policies because of what that means in terms of the redeployment of offensive uh, weapons uh, in the Asia-Pacific uh, area and the continued provocations that the U.S. is involved in uh, in the South China Sea. So uh, they're going to be concerned with how they repair uh, U.S. Uh, positions vis-a-vis uh, -vis the world and their allies, uh, but they're going to be, I think, distracted uh, with these very real issues domestically uh, and with the growing unrest in other parts of the world uh, as the consequence of the global collapse uh, of the capitalist order. So, uh, you know, finally, I was wondering if you could talk about, uh, you know, whether Trump or Biden succeeds, what advice would you give to ordinary Americans, the, the grassroots element of the party in terms of uh, guaranteeing that, uh, you know, regardless of what that agenda is, that it can somehow constrain the, uh, the, 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 the empire. Well, our, our message from the Black Alliance of Peace is that the, the people have to be organized and we have, we have to be committed to continue uh, uh, oppositional uh, activity that the uh, the capitalist order uh, is 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 facing a crisis that is irreconcilable, and that the only way that the working class people are going to be able to address their needs is through a massive organization uh, and confrontation with with the U.S. state. Uh, so our our watchword is uh, getting into organization, uh, building uh, dual and contending power. Uh, building the, uh, the framework uh, for be, being able to imagine and to take uh, politics to a whole different level, not only for ourselves, uh, Michael, but also uh, for, the, for the world. Because, you know, the U.S. presidential race is not just a race to be the president of the U.S., uh, because that office has such a major impact on the lives and livelihood of people around the world. And so we have a special responsibility in the U.S. Uh, to, to recognize that and to try to put a break on the aggressive U.S. policies to, that we know that they're going to engage in to try to maintain their declining uh, global hegemony. Okay, excellent. Well, um, I'm, I'm very, uh, I've been very privileged to have a chance to talk to you again and get your uh, your point of view on on these issues uh, got about two and a half months to go before uh, we get to see who uh, reigns supreme. Um, Ajamu Baraka, I want to thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you so much. That was Ajamu Baraka, national organizer for Black Alliance for Peace and former vice presidential candidate running on the Green Party ticket in 2016. 
Another leading voice criticizing Joe Biden is Eric Zeus. He is an investigative historian and author. Not available for radio interviews, he pointed to Biden's past work on advocating segregation in the 70s as being an example of his racism. He later on backed an anti-integration bill put forward by Republican segregationist Jesse Helms to prohibit federal funds going into communities that do not comply with desegregation measures. Mr. Zeus mentioned Section 70001, the mandatory life imprisonment for persons convicted of certain felonies, otherwise known as the three strikes and your out provisions instituted in the Clinton era. Despite what he said recently, the record holds that Biden, in fact, did support the bill. According to Wikipedia, the Biden crime law supported the elimination of higher education for inmates. Yet, the key to snatching victory during the primaries race was convincing black people in South Carolina of his track record as a progressive anti-racist. In a separate article for the Duran, entitled Joe Biden is Corrupt as They Come, Zeus mentioned the super PACs organizing for Biden included corporate lobbyists for healthcare industry, weapons makers, and finance, and that one of the PAC's supporters was Bernard Schwartz, former leader of Lockheed, which sold more to the U.S. government than any other. With that move, the article essentially says that relying on Schwartz is tantamount to selling out to the military-industrial complex. So pick your poison. Picking Biden over Trump, picking neoliberalism over neofascism, the true ruling elites remain in charge. You've been listening to the Global Research News Hour and our special look at the ticket leading the Democratic Party going into 2021. Global Research News Hour airs on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and on select stations across Canada and the United States. We are also podcast on the site globalresearch.ca. Our music this week was Shifting Sands from the group Purple Planet Music. Their music is available at the website purple-planet.com. If you would like to send a comment our way, just email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I'm host and producer Michael Welch. Thank you once again for listening. Please join us again for more next week. Mm-hmm.